Hi everyone, I'm Paloma Contreras and you're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, India Hicks. Designer, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and mother of five, India Hicks was born in London, England and comes from both British and design royalty. Her father was famed interior decorator, David Hicks, and her mother is Lady Pamela Hicks, whose father was the last Viceroy of India, hence her name. India has always made bold life choices, which have led to a multifaceted, unexpected life journey. She's authored four design books, modeled for Ralph Lauren, among others, and has been an on-air personality for networks ranging from Bravo to the BBC. She's had her hand in the design world for over two decades, from hotels to home collections. In 2015, India launched her eponymous direct sales brand. British heritage and a fresh perspective on island life informed this exclusive lifestyle collection. Despite closing its doors after five years of trading, thousands of women saw talents and qualities in themselves that have been undiscovered. More recently, India launched a podcast series, a look into the life of her extraordinary mother, Lady Pamela recording wonderfully intimate conversations between mother and daughter. With over 100,000 downloads already, the podcast repeatedly sits at the top of many charts. The India Hicks company had a strong focus on giving back as as has India herself. Having run three marathons in aid of Bahamian children's education and cycling two 100-mile races, raising funds for breast cancer in the Bahamas, a cause close to her heart as this disease took the life of her adopted son's mother. Living in the Bahamas for the past 25 years, India is in the position to now partner with Global Empowerment Mission as an on-the-ground force bringing awareness to the continuing crisis in the aftermath of Hurricane Dorian. India, I'm so delighted you could be here with us. Thank you for joining us. Hi, India. Hello. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. So happy to chat with you today. This is fun for me too. Well, good. Where are you these days? Are you in Harbor Island? I am in Harbor Island. I've been here for five months um, without getting off this small rock. So there we are. (laughs) How has that been? I know that you are typically quite the gadabout and um, don't sit still in one place for too long. Has it been quite a change to have to stay stay in place yes it's been it's been I think um like many 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 of us um it's been an an extraordinary experience um there have been incredible ups and some very considerable downs the ups have been that I have been here with my five children um for all of these months, and it's unlikely that I will ever have that time again with them. So that's been amazingly um, special in some respects. It was also incredible because, as we know, the world stopped. And and so I think that the time that we had was remarkable in the fact that we we could go back to not feeling the pressure of having to push our lives forward, not just my life or my career or my parenting skills or any of that, but also for my children, they, they didn't feel the, the urge or, or the fact that they may be missing out in some way or that they would have been missing college. I think because everything stopped, one rather, um, in a way, relaxed into that. Um, and we, we went back to playing backgammon and playing card games and playing bull in the garden and all sorts of things that we wouldn't have otherwise done. However, I think 
once lockdown came to an end, although here on the island we, we're just going back into it, there was that there there were those those feelings and those emotions of 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 anxiety, confusion, not really knowing what the future held, and I think many of us are still feeling that now. So as I said, it was up and it was down. And I'm sure each day is different. You know, some days are up, some days are down, depending on what the latest is. And there's just a lot to navigate. It's all sort of uncharted territory. It really is. And I think I think not only just um, for, for myself in my own career and how that's moving forward and my life and making sure mm-hmm. that that continues to move forward, it is navigating the emotions of five kids from the age of 23 down to 12 and 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 there is no underestimating what that that's what that is to to kind of handle all those five kids different feelings well speaking of your five beautiful children they like you said range in age from 23 to 12 which is quite the gamut in terms of where they are in their own lives and what they need from their parents which i'm sure um, having this time with them and all together has been so lovely. Did you always know that you wanted a large family? Oh, God. Um, no, I don't think so. I think I kind of stumbled into this life. I, mean, <laughs> um, I always knew that I would have a lot, of, a lot of pets. Let's put it like that. Mm. When I was younger, I always thought rather, rather um, incredulously that I was going to have a, a, a kind of, you know, a, a, a huge zoo of animals. My mother grew up with some extraordinary animals in her childhood. She had, she grew up with a, with a honey bear. Um, she grew up with a lion. She grew up with a bush baby um, and a mongoose. She had a pet mongoose. So she had an extraordinary race. So I think that that was very much part of my upbringing, the idea of this world of exotic animals. Um, my, my world of exotic animals isn't actually so exotic at all. Um, we have a tortoise, two cats, several dogs, one of which is rather fat and has only three legs, but it's not nearly as exotic as honey bears and lions. So the kids never really, it never really occurred to me. And then suddenly you just find you, you're having more and more kids. I think one of the blessings of my life is that I, I live somewhere that does enable us to have a lot of space. You know, we live on a small island. It's only half a mile wide by three long. And, and by having space, you then feel the kind of freedom to bring up kids. And our last kid um, is actually adopted. Um, we've, we fostered him when his mother died. So, so that was very unexpected as well. So I think we, we just sort of ended up um, down a path that we didn't realize we would be treading. That's incredible. And what are their interests these days? Do any of them oh, share not- similar interests to yours? I love that question. Um, um, they, they're all incredibly different. So our foster kid, Wesley, um, he is, um, he, um, when he came to us, he was illiterate um, and, and then went to a, a specialist school with one of my other kids who was severely dyslexic. So in fact, that was a, an amazing bonding experience for both of them. Um, and they learnt so much and they became very confident in themselves, which they had in part been missing. So that was a, that was a brilliant chapter for them. And Wesley is really interested in, in, in mechanics. And so he's taken um, a course in marine mechanics. So he will become, uh, we hope, a boat captain, which is what he'd like to do. Um, Felix, my eldest, 
um, is extremely creative and is trying to launch um, a fashion brand, um, a lifestyle brand, which is all about street clothing. And um, and he's he's been developing that for a while. And I think he's been very impacted by the by the pandemic because, of course, all the factories who were working with have closed down. But he's extremely creative. Next one down is studying film and film and TV um, at SCAD in Savannah. And the next one down is still in is still in school, but he is a huge six foot something rugby player. And then my daughter um, is, she's very, very creative. And, and Paloma, this is funny because at first when TikTok kind of came on the on the scene, I was like, oh God, another thing to, to sort of seduce your children in. It's another platform of screen, screen time. I have to say, actually during lockdown, and being on a small island where we were not able to access, we can't have Amazon deliver here. So there was no real access to anything. It was amazing how creative and resourceful she came. And, and that is through TikTok, looking at all those, um, all those kind of DIY creative videos on TikTok. So she, start, she learned to sew and she started to make her own bags or she'd paint the inside of her cupboard or she learned to make donuts or just amazing things that she was very inspired of from TikTok. So, I suddenly kind of withheld my reservations about TikTok and felt actually maybe there's something quite good about this. Oh, how fun. That's so great that she used it that way. I, I'm actually not on TikTok and I'm not super familiar with it other than the silly dance videos that everybody posts. So it's nice to know that there's something worth um, spending one's time on on TikTok as well. Exactly. That's exactly what I felt. So what about your childhood? Tell us a little bit about where and how you grew up, because it sounds pretty magical. Well, again, I think it was and it wasn't. I mean, looking back, it, it, it seems, um, again, I use the word extraordinary, but it was kind of extraordinary. We, I grew up in a, in a very beautiful, um, large English country house. And um, there was there was a there was a chapel that actually my father converted into being a dining room. And my father was at that stage, a very great um, designer and very recognized throughout the world. And he wasn't anybody who was going to do anything um, without, um, uh, without flair and determination. And he really set the world alight with his color schemes and his, his eye on design, which was very different to anybody else at that time. He was mixing old with new. He wasn't afraid to use colors, vibrating color schemes, he called them, um, with pinks and purples and puces all mixed together. Um, so it was exciting from a design point of view. I mean, we we had breakfast in these amazing tented rooms, and we had golden pheasants um, in in lacquer red cages, and it was it was very um, it, it was it was extraordinary in many respects. Um, but at the same time, it was also rather limiting in the fact that we weren't part of any kind of community and I think what I see of my children growing up here on this small island is they are part of a community and I think there's real value to that especially the way the world's going and that we feel we feel very global in many respects but I think we've also lost touch with our neighbors and we've forgotten what it feels like to to be part of something um, and and the bigger cities obviously ameliorate that to some to some degree and so I I, I was driven to school in a in a custom colored chauffeur driven Rolls Royce. And, and my kids go to school on a, a slightly broken down golf cart um, with a chicken crossing the road. And, and, I, and I think of course there are merits to both, but I, 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 I rather like the fact that my kids feel um, 
very in touch with where they live. And that to me is important. Whereas my childhood was was quite remote in many respects. Um, my brother and sister, who I'm very close to, but they were sent to boarding school quite early on. So I was I was quite alone in, in this big house for a lot of my, my childhood. And then and then I too went to boarding school, which I loved, by the way, loved it. Um, so I think it, it's it's sort of it, again it, it has its 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 ups and downs. Well, sure. Now, for those listening, if you're not aware, for some odd reason, um, India's father, who she's referring to, is the legendary decorator David Hicks, who was obviously a visionary and quite a pioneer in his time. As you mentioned, putting together color schemes that the world had never seen before and using bold geometric patterns, which were not necessarily in vogue at the time, but he made them so revolutionary and so exciting. And they became the new um, sort of ideal in design. What lessons do you carry with you that you learned from your father in terms of of design? Um, Again, that's a a really good question. It's good that you added in in terms of design, because my father... (laughs) character um he he certainly was very decisive he was he was very um uh he he was he was he was a volcano my mother always described him as a volcano you were never quite sure when he was going to erupt um but but he was remarkable in the fact that he his whole life was a, about design and everything stemmed from the world of design um from the that he wore he wanted to have the name of the watch the brand removed uh, so had the glass taken off had the name removed from the watch had the glass put back on I mean can you imagine the nightmare and the cost he would smoke certain cigarettes that you could only buy in duty free so he would buy a ticket a, a, an airplane ticket to go to Paris for example from London he drives to the airport go through duty free buy cigarettes and then get back in the car and go back to London I mean the, these are kind of slightly <laughs> eccentric bonkers um uh, habits um but in terms of design there was so much that I learned really by osmosis and 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 I feel very lucky to have had that in some way because I was never formally trained at all myself I went to art school for a tiny bit uh, I did um I did a, a photography course for several years but I never really trained in interior design or textiles or um fabric making or any of those things that actually later in life I, I found my career leaning towards and it was just because of living under the imposing eye of David Hicks that I inherited so much of that. So, you know, he, he's, he says he coined the phrase tablescape, which he may well have done. And, and, and I find myself all the time looking at tables and rearranging the objects on them into something that's kind of pleasing for the eye. Um, and that is very much a David Hicks trait. And um, David, my own partner, and I um, have, have had the, the good fortune to have several of our own houses that we've been able to decorate and indeed have several jobs where we decorate for others. And, and I always find that there are some David Hicks, Hicksisms that come with me on that. So whether it's the way I hang a picture or it's the use of color, the only thing I would say was I'm definitely not as confident as my father in color. Um, I tend to shy away from using those very bold color schemes in the interiors that I live in. And that, that possibly is because I live in the Bahamas and so there's an enormous kaleidoscope of color on the outside. So we tend to use a more muted palette on the inside. But certainly my father was revolutionary, as you said, in many ways with, with just the way he used the world of design. And it was very exciting. He once, by the way, 
even redecorated someone's nose. He had a client come to them and he said, they said, we'd love you to do our house. And he said, yeah, but first we need to do your nose. <laughs> I've never heard that story. That is hilarious. So I'm, I'm assuming that ended with some sort of referral to a plastic surgeon. I don't know how else you would redo someone's nose. <laughs> yeah, it went incredibly well. She's now got a beautiful nose and a beautiful house. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> what more could one want? Exactly. David Hicks designed nose. He also designed my hair, my mother's hair, of course. Oh, well, she has the most beautiful hair. I, I love the sort of, I guess you would call it a, a bouffant, sort of, you know, the, the volume is so thick and... And there is a lot of hairspray that goes into that. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it is to this day, and she's 91, and to this day she has her hair done every week and it looks magnificent. Good for her. Well, you've mentioned your career a little while ago. Let's talk a little bit about where you started and where you're headed now. You began your career as a fashion model when you were booked by Ralph Lauren for your very first job. What was that experience like? That was amazing. Um, it was so amazing because that was, the, that was at the stage when the, the world of modeling was still incredibly glamorous and a, a little bit um, luxurious, let's put it like that. So you would still be flown by Concord and you would still arrive in a hotel and have flowers sent to your room by the designer and a personal note written by them saying, thank you so much for, for being part of our campaign. Um, so it was all very exciting. Um, but that was the very high-end jobs. And to start with, Ralph Lauren was, was quite an entry. I then thought, oh my God, this is, this, sounds, this is so fun because I get to travel the world and I get to work with incredible people and, and people I never would otherwise have met in my life. And so I, I loved it. So I wanted to do more. And my next job was a, a, a German catalogue in Tampa, Florida. And there was definitely no flying or first class or Concorde. And there was definitely no flowers in my room. And it was, it was a very different end of the spectrum of modeling. But actually, I think both gave me an understanding of, of what it took um, to, to, to work in that world. Um, but as I said, I met amazing people who have remained lifelong friends. And I think if you work in the world of fashion and you, you, you understand um, its limitations, and indeed, you take it with a, with a slight pinch of salt, you know, we are not curing cancer here. But nevertheless, it's a very exciting world and, and one that you can... Um, it can feel incredibly creative within. Um, and so I, I, I loved my time when I was modeling. I, I wonder if Domino, my daughter, came and said, I want to be a model, what my, what my reaction would be. Um, I think now it is, it is, it's, it's a much more professional world. And um, now the girls work in a very different way. They, they're encouraged to have other streams of not necessarily of income, but of, of interest. And that's important. So whether it's philanthropy or whether it's having a platform on social media, whether whether doing good or whether it's having a, a political point of view, I think I think that's actually, that's, that's very good and should be encouraged. I think models uh, tend to be put into rather a, a, a category. Um, and I think actually if we, if you can find a, an incredibly beautiful woman who's actually got an awful lot to say that's meaningful or is doing a lot of good then then we have success stories absolutely so at what point did you begin to scale back on your modeling career um gosh it's so nice to make it sound like I was the one who was in control of it maybe I was I don't know um I I 
I, I, I met and fell in love with David here on Harbour Island. And I think then I decided that I would leave New York and I'd been living sort of between New York and Paris and London and, and modeling between all of those um, cities. And so when I moved down here to the Bahamas, obviously life changed. But that it didn't stop completely. I, I, I very quickly fell pregnant. And when Felix, my firstborn, was, was a couple of months old, I went back to modeling and he traveled with me and really um, I took him with me a, a, a lot of the way. Um, and I did that with, with a lot of the kids, actually. I, I always breastfed, so they always came with me. In fact, I did one crazy TV show called Top Design, um, which was a Bravo show. Oh, of course. I remember it. it. I loved it. it fun it was a really fun experience and I was out in LA and I was breastfeeding um it must have been Domino I think and I think I must be the only person on national television who's actually had a breast reduction whilst being filmed because of course they stopped breastfeeding halfway through and all the clothes had to be taken in um so that was rather a unique situation well I completely forgot that about that show until you mentioned it I didn't think to ask you about it but that was so fun so you were the host and then I recall Margaret Russell, Kelly Worser, and Jonathan Adler were the judges. Is that right? Yes, you are so good. And Todd Alden was kind of, he was kind of the sort of the grandfatherly figure in the way that he was sort of um, taking us through some of the scenarios because he had previously been the, the host, but I don't think he felt entirely comfortable in that role. So then I came in to replace him in that. Um, but it was just, it was just amazing. We, we filmed a lot in downtown LA. I hadn't had much experience of living in LA, so I love that as well. I, I love anything that kind of gives me a new, a new, a new chapter and a new way of seeing how other people live life. And LA is a very particular way of, of, of a particular lifestyle. It's a bit like that, and one that I loved. Um, but we filmed in this really horrible studio in downtown LA. But the fun part was that above us was a porn studio I kid you not <laughs> and so every morning when we were having our hair and makeup and we were we the contestants were, were, were coming in and we were going to talk about these rooms that they'd created on a lovely budget there were the porn stars going upstairs to their studio and it looked like they were having much more fun than we were oh goodness I'm sure they were <laughs> how funny is that when you met Nathan Turner I know the two of you are rather good friends I had I I had met Nathan before Oddly, I'd been on Larry King Live um, just when Larry King Live was was um, was very much alive, very much having a, a, a huge show, and that was another amazing experience to to go to LA to be on his show. And what was fun about Larry King is, as we all know, he sits behind that desk, and he wore those bow ties with braces and the and the Brooks Brothers stripy shirts. And of course, underneath, he was in a pair of jeans and like uh, Birkenstocks. It was so funny because he was only ever filmed from the desk up. Um, but I was on that show and Nathan's boyfriend at the time had been a friend of mine. He reached out and said, let, you know, when you're in LA, let me look after you. And so, so I spent a bit of time there meeting him. But Nathan and I had stayed really good friends. Jonathan Adler and I had stayed really good friends. And Margaret Russell. I mean, I was, I've been so lucky that in, in, these, in these jobs that I've done, I've met, as I said, incredible people. Who have been very, um, who have been great influences, and uh, and I've been lucky enough to stay friends with them. That's fantastic. That's so great. It really is such a lovely, generally speaking, I think such a lovely and supportive industry. It is. I agree. Well, speaking of design, you've built and restored four houses as well as a hotel on Harbor Island. What has been the most rewarding part of this process? Ooh. Um... I think 
I think um, each 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 project has been a stepping stone to the next. And and at the end of each project, you you learn an awful lot, not just about um, how to fit an interior or how to price a fabric or where to source a cushion, but also about the you know how how you would bill a project, um, how to work with a team of people. Um, how to to ship the goods so i think it's been it's been amazing kind of just as i as i keep saying sort of you know progressing and and moving your life forward and and that to me is i guess as i get older a kind of a key a key theme that i keep hearing uh, myself repeating which is you know making sure that we're always um just just absorbing more and learning more as we go forward and i think sometimes we we forget about that you come out of school you come out of college, you get married, you have kids, and, and you're not sort of thinking about, right, what, what's next? How can, I, how can I broaden my horizons? So I think each design job has been interesting in the fact that one's learned. Um, but I mean, you know very well, I had a, I had a lifestyle brand for, for six years, and, and I suspect you were going to ask about it, but right. uh, it, was, it, was, it was incredible. And I think you and I met just while I was um, launching that, and it was... It was just an amazing experience for me because um, it got me into a city. It got me it got me into a city, but it also got me into an office environment. And and you know, I suddenly learned a lot of different skill sets that I had not had before. Not only kind of managing teams, but an office environment, and and learning about the world of direct sales, and learning about lifestyle brand, and learning about um, you know delivery times and. Um, and, and just and it, it again opened my eyes to so much. It also broke my heart because it it didn't succeed in the way one wanted it to. I it I felt that there was success for me in the fact that I I did learn so much, but we didn't quite make it to where so we weren't able to push it to where it needed to go. Um, and there was an awful lot of lessons I learned about about the business and about ending a business, and I think that's actually very valuable as well. Um, and now I'm I'm I do consulting work for for other brands, and and I think the the lessons I learned in in the, the my own failure, and it wasn't it wasn't anybody else's failure. This these were this is sort of my failure, um, has actually been beneficial to this next chapter of my life. So I'm always kind of whenever I talk to kind of younger, younger up and coming designers or entrepreneurs, I'm always very um, keen to point out that if there is a failure, learn from it and don't be set back by it. Um, and, and I really faced the biggest failure ever. And it was a very difficult time to kind of come out from that because it was a small business, but it was a big small business. And we had 5,000 women who were selling our collections across America and even globally. And we had quite an active Instagram account. We had quite an active um, e-commerce platform. And, and so when we had to close the business, it, it, felt, um, it felt like heartbreak, but I've learned so much in the process of doing that. And, and I, as I said, my, 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 my lessons have been, you know, you cannot be set back. You have to just keep moving forward. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, it's been so refreshing to see you be as open and honest as you have been about a failure. And I, I remember you speaking about your impetus for starting this business. It was very clear that you wanted this to be something that empowered women. And so I would imagine that 
having that tied to what ultimately didn't succeed in the way that you wanted it to may just compounded that loss even more because you had your hopes and dreams tied in with these 5,000 women's hopes and dreams. And so I can only imagine how heart wrenching it must have been for you to come to that decision. Oh my God, you've, you've framed it up. I'm going to go and slip my wrists. It's also painful. It, no, but you're absolutely right. It is about hopes and dreams. And, and I think one of my great disappointments was that it, it felt, it felt so brilliant, the whole idea that actually we were going to sell a lifestyle brand that had all these stories and had this lovely luxury to it and had a, a, an accessible price point. So we felt that we ticked so many boxes, not only all of that, but selling it through networks of entrepreneurial women who we were then encouraging to run this as their own business in their own terms and on their own, in their own way. So these women were doing it from home. So they really could be the mothers. They could, they could do it from their own kitchen table. And there were so many parts of this that just felt so inspiring and exciting. And as you said, empowering. And I think that was what was even more disappointing was we couldn't quite get it right. You know, I, I think it's going to be interesting times now, um, having gone through this extraordinary global pandemic, to see where a lot of these brands come out and, and how actually we will begin to sell in the future. And when I look at the way my kids buy clothes or the, or the content that they're reading or the, the, um, the, the, the sort of um, inspiration that they're looking to, it, it's very different to what we were doing even just a couple of months ago. So I think, I think we will see the world buy in a different way. And that's really what we were trying to do at India Hicks. We were, we were selling in a different way and, and allowing women to have this chance to, to learn and run their own businesses. I think actually that's going to come back. I think we're going to find people will be doing a lot more from home. Um, I think they'll be doing a lot more um, in smaller teams, we won't we won't be seeing this sort of um, the, the, these massive massive companies um, coming up anymore. I, I like the idea that the, the word I keep hearing, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot as well, is, is cottage core. Um, I think there's something really kind of warming about that. The idea that we take we, we we're taking things a bit more back to the basics, um, and we're a bit more I think probably realistic about things. Right. Utterly naive in that. <laughs> well, since you're consulting now and you've lived through the building of a business and then unfortunately having to make the decision to shutter it, what advice would you give to someone listening who is thinking of starting a business? What should they know and be prepared for? I think you have to be agile, um, very agile. Um, so you need to be able to pivot quickly and easily. If, if the original intention is not fulfilled it's okay to change that so as an example we set out to be a direct sales business and we learned too late that actually we shouldn't we shouldn't have been in one stream of 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 sales we should have balanced that with being more selling online more selling through social media possibly having had possibly having a retail presence so we, we learned that too late. We weren't agile enough to change or pivot quickly enough to, to respond to that. So I think you need to, I, I, I think you can't just keep grasping onto the original, the original intent. Make sure you can move around. Um, 
and and don't go too big i think i wouldn't you know i think that i think that i possibly had investors who who had a different vision to me i would have been possibly um more comfortable growing more slowly and in a more in a more low key way and i think that that there was a there was a there was a probably a miss a, a miscommunication between the kind of the the, the rapid growth um, expectation, let's put it like that. So I, I would again encourage people to, to feel, um, to, to really make sure that you're kind of doing it bootstraps. You know, startups need to be really cunning in the way that they spend, really agile in the way that they manage um, expectations of either investors or themselves as well. It's so true. And you've mentioned being agile, agility being so important, the ability to pivot and to really just be nimble. You don't want to get bogged down by too much overhead, too many employees by going too big too quickly, as you've mentioned, because that just adds unnecessary pressure. And if things change unexpectedly, I mean, I can, my heart truly does break for anyone who just started a business in 2020, or I think about, you know, the, the chef now restaurant owner who had dreamt of having their own restaurant for years and years, and then finally opened it at the beginning of this year, only to have this pandemic. That to me is heart wrenching in that, you know, there's, there's things that you can't expect or predict or plan for. And I believe your advice is, is actually quite good in that, if you keep it small, you're able to pivot so much more easily if should you need to. I think that's right. I mean, again, I mean, you, you yourself um, uh, uh, are a very good example of, of seeing how a brand and a voice um, can grow and mature and other things. I mean, the fact that you now have a podcast series um, is really interesting and I think shows that that firstly, you, you, you yourself have grown an audience and that people now um, respect, you know, the, the, the level and the, and the platform that you have. So you, you've got all of these valuable lessons as well. <laughs> well, thank you. They, they haven't all come easily and it's certainly a matter of, of time and growth and maturity and all of that. But um, that's very nice. Thank you. I, I think that is so key what you just said. People, people you know, they, they did not come easily. I think people underestimate, especially for an entrepreneur, the amount of work that it takes. And my God, do you need grit and determination to keep going? Um, and and you, you need to be very robust. It was funny because when I was saying, you know, you need to be um, fit and agile, you, you also kind of need to be fit and agile in, in, in physically too, because it takes such a toll. Um, just the amount of hours that you, that one is sitting and working is it, just incredible. How have you balanced all of that with five children? I mean, I'm just in awe of you for not only having a career of your own and your own um, endeavors, but to also have five children whilst doing it is incredible. Um, I have never been afraid to ask for help. I've never been ashamed of having help. I think as a woman, there are there are so many expectations of us, and we have set ourselves up for um, thinking that we need to do it all ourselves. And I think that we 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 don't need to do it all ourselves. It is it is perfectly okay to ask a neighbour, to ask your mother, to ask a um, to ask a babysitter to come and help. Um, we we need to be able to have somebody support us in what we're doing. 
Um, it is perfectly okay to order food in and not have to cook it all yourself. It is perfectly okay to have someone else come and come and um, you know clean your house if you're able to afford that. I think it is. I think we we just don't need to keep setting ourselves up to be doing it all. Um, so I've always had help with the kids, which has then allowed me to be able to do other things. And I actually think that I am probably, I'm certainly not the best mum, but I'm probably a better mum because for me it suits, it's, it continues to suit me to have other interests as well, um, to be able to have a different point of view, to be, to be showing my kids that I do work um, and that I am not going to sit back and rely on anybody else or take the fact that I'm I was lucky enough to inherit, have inherited something or, or to have a, a husband who will go out and be the breadwinner. I, I want to be able to do that and I want to, I want to be an example to my kids. But as I said, I definitely have a lot of help in doing that. that. I think that's a really important message to allow oneself the permission to be okay with the fact that you can't do it all. I think oftentimes, not only is that expectation set by society and the people around us, but we sort of do it to ourselves. We expect that we, we have to be the ones to do it all and that we have to do it so perfectly. But I think what you've said is actually quite liberating. It, it's so refreshing to hear that perspective that it's okay to ask for help. And sometimes in the end, the result is so much better because you've ha- you don't feel overwhelmed and s- stressed and stretched so thin if you, as if you were trying to do everything yourself and then failing miserably because it's just impossible to do it all alone. I think that's right. I also think that now, um, particularly in this weird new world of, of, of social media and the fact that we look at these, you know, we look into other people's lives and we always think it, it is so perfect because, of course, that, that is that those are the messages that are being put out, the kind of shiny, glossy message. Um, it, 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 and we, we mustn't ever forget it is never that perfect. Um, you know, there is so much bullshit going on behind the scenes. But, you know, we, we are we are sort of, you know, it, we think it, it, it's smoke and mirrors right now. You look, you look and you think, God, how are they managing all of that? Um, but actually, you know, never anticipate, never lose sight of the, the, the craziness that goes on behind the scenes. It's so true. That's such an important reminder. People show you what they want you to see. They don't show you everything that goes into creating that perfect image literally or figuratively whether it's the photo itself or the implied image of you know this life that a person is living they're showing you the highlights they're not showing you everything else that goes into that that's right i think also that <laughs> we do we do need to be careful not to not to i mean i'm i'm always very conscious particularly at the moment I think on social media we need to be very very careful of, of, of our words and the, and the messaging that's going out there um, and we need to be cautious but I, I, I like to I like to share um, and I like to, to let people you know have have some insight into into my life into my kids into how we live um, and I hope that it's a, a healthy insight I think we need to be careful of kind of the oversharing as well um, I think you know we've seen some very recent examples of people having some major breakdowns publicly, which I think is not healthy. Um, so it's again, probably about balance, isn't it? That we need to, we, we don't need to pretend to be something we're not. And yet at the same time, we need to be careful about, um, about that messaging that goes out publicly. Right. There's a fine line. Certainly. I think people want to know a little bit about who you truly are and there has to be a level of, of, um, personal vulnerability to some degree but you 
obviously don't want to reveal too much because it is a scary world out there and you don't always know there's a fine line I think between keeping it professional showing enough of what's personal but not revealing too much so that then you're sacrificing your privacy or that of your loved ones and yeah I, I mean you hit the nail right on the head it's a difficult time to know exactly the right thing to say at, at times because there's so much going on in the world and we have to be sensitive to so much and also remain authentic. So it's certainly not black and white at this point. It, 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 it definitely isn't. I mean, on, on your, on your own, on your own um, social medias, you know, are you, are you sticking to your subject or do you share beyond that? You know, I mostly stick to design and I do share some things that are personal when we're able to travel and things like that, or my dog or my home. Um, I don't really show my family on Instagram. I just, it's not something that they want to do or that I necessarily feel is pertinent to uh, an Instagram feed that is mostly based around design. So I just don't go there. I also don't necessarily share political opinions I feel like you have to be careful in that arena but that being said this year I have you know taken a stand on um, like the Black Lives Matter movement and have mentioned made mentions about this pandemic and encourage people to do the right thing and do their social responsibility by wearing a mask and being careful and all of that and of course there's there's been some negative feedback which sometimes is surprising to me because in my mind I feel like the opinions that I'm sharing seem to be I don't know I am coming from a good place and it doesn't seem illogical to me to feel a certain way or to to believe that everyone matters um or that, you know, we should be doing the responsible thing in terms of the pandemic but not everyone agrees with me and so you just have to um you have to come to terms with the fact that you can't be all things to all people or necessarily please everyone, but you don't want to down outright offend anyone either. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, the, uh, I think that the, um, the, tr- the tricky thing is, I mean, you, you now have quite a following. You then become an influencer and, and once you become an influencer, you know, what does that mean? That means we, we have to be, we have to be cautious and responsible as well as as well as letting people in and inspiring and all the rest. And, and that, again, it, it comes back to the balance of it all. Right. It's so true. Um, I certainly don't have all of the answers. You know, I've been trying to be mindful and sensitive um, over the last several months. And in the beginning, when when the pandemic first started, I did go on my stories and ask, you know, my audience did they want to continue to see um design inspiration at that point and design content or did that feel a little bit insensitive and the general consensus was that people still really wanted a distraction more than ever so i don't know i just sort of take it day by day and and do things that i feel are authentic and the reason for which people come to me but i'm also not afraid to use my own platform for anything that i feel is truly important to me I agree. I totally agree. So India, what is next? I've heard you speaking of um, social media. I've, I've seen you 
sort of infer to um, a new chapter that's on the horizon for you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have planned or what might be on the horizon for you professionally? After my, after my business closed, um, I, I thought I'm not going to rush into anything. Um, and, and I was, I was lucky in having a, a, a few offers that were, were healthy and exciting to do new things. But I decided I was going to take the summer off and, and really be with my kids. And, you know, I'd spent six years traveling and, and very much being away from home. I took my kids with me and I took them individually with me and they definitely um, understood what I was doing and why I was away from home and all the rest of it. But I, I wanted to spend the summer at home, so I did. And then in September, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas and we have never seen um, such um, such a storm. Um, it was completely unprecedented in the Bahamian history. The devastation was was unbelievable, um, um, and it was shocking what happened to two neighbouring islands to us, just seventy miles away. People lost literally everything, not only their homes but also the lives of loved ones. And I got very involved in 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 the um, the, the cleanup, um, and indeed I I sat on the board of a, a disaster relief agency, and it became a, a really interesting and new area of work for me and I dedicated quite a few months to raising um, a lot of money for this disaster relief agency and I went out to Abaco and I, I did quite a bit with, with, with a number of, of relief efforts out there and, and then at Christmas I, I was um, again able to host a big event here um, at my home to raise more money um, and then I was finishing a book that I have been um, working on for a while, which is an entertaining book, which feels, it felt slightly incongruous to, to, to the kind of aid work that I've been doing. Like, on the one hand, you know, I was working with people who had lost everything. And on the other hand, I was, I was finishing a, a book that was all about entertaining and lifestyle and kind of the, the more frivolous side of life. But actually, actually, I think that there's a way that those two can meet. Um, and, and I think that Certainly, if one can raise awareness um, through through entertaining books or uh, uh, and, and you know the the more the, the more frivolous side to bring people in to actually donating to a GoFundMe or being aware of what's happening in a part of the world that they might not have seen, um, and we know news moves on very quickly. So the attention on Hurricane Dorian left immediately, and then there were wildfires in Australia, and then there's a and then there's an earthquake somewhere else in the world. So. I, I really try to keep the attention here. So I, I've actually kind of reconciled the two sitting together. Um, and I think, again, it's, it's talking, it's what we were talking about, you know, having an honest conversation with people who you, you, you can be talking to, whether that's people who are, who are um, watching you from a social media and, and a slightly more distant point, point, or whether it's close people that you can influence to help in some way. Um, and, and then... Um, more recently, I got very, very involved with the food bank here um, in the Bahamas, and we set up very quickly um, uh, an organization and an operation that was going to feed many, many of the people whose livelihoods have been impacted by these islands closing down. And I think the Prime Minister of the Bahamas did exactly the right thing. He's a doctor, and he could see immediately how devastating the, the coronavirus could be to this nation. Um, there is no medical infrastructure. There are no ventilating machines. There are no resources. It is also a nation of people who um, do um, suffer from diabetes, who are 
um, inclined to be more overweight. And I think it, it really, it could have spread like wildfire. So he shut us down very, very quickly and quite shockingly. And so a lot of people did lose their incomes um, and, and their, their, their livelihoods. So this food bank has been feeding 3,000 people every week for 10 weeks. That was our main intention. None of us ever anticipated that this pandemic would go on as long as it does. And now I think we need to be even more realistic. And from what I can see, it, this is going to go on further. We've just had another such shutdown. All of the um, American commercial flights have been suspended, although we need to be very clear and that Americans can still come to the Bahamas, but they need to find a charter run or a private flight to get here. But um, I, I, I found that it's been another... Um, another chapter to my life and something that I, I'm, I'm able to do. Um, and, and it has been extremely worthwhile for me getting involved in this um, and really understanding the, the community that I live in and how vulnerable it is when you have a country that is solely reliant on tourism and that is taken away. You're left in a very, very, very difficult position. Um, so I continue to raise money for that. We're now in our phase two of the food bank. And I, my God, I could bore your listeners forever about it. And I won't go on about it, but I feel very passionate about it. So that's that's really where my focus has been. Um, my book comes out in September, and that's going to be a much more lighthearted side of it. Um, but I, I'd like to be able to balance the two. And I think I think that we can, all of us actually, have a voice in in helping others and helping our neighbors and, and getting more involved. And I think the world is going to be in, in a crisis mode for, for a while longer, and we all need to do what we can. Sure, I think it will take a, a good while to come out of this and to really navigate and understand what our new normal, our new reality will be, because we're not going back to what we once had. It has, it, moving forward, things will be different. It's inevitable. How can listeners um, make a contribution to the food bank or to any other charities supporting the Bahamas as you rebuild from not only the hurricane, but now, you know, the devastating effect of the economy essentially shutting down. Well, thank you. That's, that's generous of you to say that and, and, and very necessary. So anyone who's listening, who's ever been to the Bahamas or stepped on a pink sand beach here or um, has had an affiliation, we would so appreciate any, any kind of donation. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be $20. It can be $20,000. It all makes a difference. And and I can absolutely guarantee that I know where that money goes. Every cent is accounted for. And not only do I sit at a round table with a group of, of Bahamians who are making very, some very serious and strategic decisions, but I also get up every Saturday and I go and pack those bags. And I've been with the church groups and I've been with the pantries and I've delivered the food myself. So I've seen the different homes it's going into and I know the need that's there. So I hope people feel reassurance if they do donate. And it's very easy. You can just go on and go, go to the, go, just type in GoFundMe, Bryland Food Bank. And Bryland is the short name for Harbour Island because Harbour Island, Bryland. Um, so just go to the GoFundMe and Bryland Food Bank and, and make a donation and we would be incredibly grateful. And it's very meaningful and it certainly is helping someone get through this right now. Absolutely. Well, it may seem on the surface that your new book being um, an entertaining story might feel somewhat disparate from your um, your work with these charitable endeavors. But on some level, I feel like there is certainly a connection because ultimately it's about bringing people together, helping in whatever way you can, whether that's cheering someone up by hosting a dinner for them or providing very necessary sustenance. Uh, there's something about gathering and especially entertaining at home, since many of us 
aren't I are either unable to or um, uncomfortable going out to restaurants and gathering in large groups as we once did. So I, in some ways, I do believe your book is actually quite timely. Well, thank you. I also think that, and and actually, the the, the book um, goes back many years, and there are there are lots of uh, photographs of my kids' birthday parties over the years, um, and dinners outside, and breakfast in bed, and cocktail hours. And I'm very aware that not all of us have a beautiful dog to set up a lovely romantic scene with, um, you know, champagne glasses and two chairs, but you can you can find that romance anywhere in your own home somewhere and that's what i encourage people to do or you know you look at the pages and you're transported away to the end of that dock you you hopefully the book the book can can take you there in itself but there are lots of uh, what i hope are quite practical ideas in the fact that we don't have all the resources here i can't just nip out to a target to buy a new tablecloth so i may feel oh my god i'm going to take my bedspread and use that as a tablecloth or this mustard pot that I'm just about to throw out actually now can become a vase. Um, and as you say, I think people are going to go back to the heart of home much more. I think we are going to see ourselves entertaining in much smaller groups, but back at home. And so there are some really easy ways again of just, hey, don't you don't feel you have to cook, order pizza in, do do anything, but but gather some friends and get together. Um, and 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 let's let's again. I think the word community keeps coming into our conversation. Let's let's feel that we're part of something, and whether that's community, your friends and family, or or your work colleagues, or however. But just just that we need to connect more during this time, which is which is of course a countercultural to the fact that we're all saying social distancing. <laughs> but what we're seeing in many many countries is these bubbles. Um, my kids' school, um, England, and the pubs, um, parts of America. You know connect in the small bubble that you know is healthy but I think it's very healthy that we do keep connecting. Absolutely it's necessary I mean I certainly miss seeing my friends and my family more often than we've been able to and that's part of really the the impetus for starting this podcast was I miss seeing my colleagues and my design friends and having conversations about topics that we are collectively passionate about. So it's been so nice to be able to connect in this way, because many of the ways in which we're used to seeing one another and spending time together aren't currently available. So what a brilliant idea. And I'm sure that everyone can glean a lot of advice for making entertaining at home a lot more exciting than it might have been over the last few months. Yes. And um, if I am allowed to say the book is on pre-order right now, um, and it would be fantastic if people felt that they wanted to go and pre-order the book. Um, and, and that's super easy. Again, um, Rizzoli have many, many different um, links to buying the book. And of course, we love to we love to promote that because we love the small booksellers. Um, but obviously, also, it's, it's very easily available on Amazon at the moment. Um, Absolutely. That's September the 8th. September the 8th. Perfect. And if you follow India on Instagram at India Hicks Style, I know she has a link to uh, pre-order the book on her Instagram. So that's an easy place to find it. You're better at this than I am. <laughs> is it, well, you're too kind. Is there anything that people might be surprised to learn about you? Ooh, Lordy. Um, gosh, this is, not, this is not something we should be proud of, but I, I swear an awful lot. I have a sailor's mouth and that that might be surprising to people because supposedly I was meant to have been brought up rather nicely, but clearly I haven't. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, 
it makes you all the more relatable. God, um, probably not. um, That's probably not a good thing. (laughs) If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? You know, I, I, I think I'm, I've been lucky in the fact that I have quite an adventurous streak. So I'm, I'm always ready not only to to jump off a cliff, but also to, to not be afraid to to move my life around. And when I had the opportunity to, to model and travel the world, I did. And when I had the opportunity to move to Boston to study photography, I did. And and when I fell in love and moved to a small island with with no no real future ahead of me, I did. Um, and and I, I I think that 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 has that has served me well. Um, I I think I think possibly there was a time in my life where I was perhaps a little a little too self conscious, and during those modelling years, you know, one one did worry about um, about terrible superficial things, you know, that 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 world made you worry about, you know, looks and weight and things like that, and. Now I'm at a stage where I'm much more about, you know, let's be healthy and fit. And, and, and I wish going back that I would have been able to tell myself, you know, he- healthy and fit is better than, is better than the, the, the too much time worrying about looks and weight, probably it. Sure. Well, as we wrap up, I'll ask you one last question. What is currently giving you hope in the world of design or otherwise? You, you you said black and white earlier, and and I think those words are, are very um, are very um, valuable right now. And I think the less we see black and white, the better. The the more we see the world as as one. And I have been um, incredibly grateful that I've spent twenty five years living um, on a small island um, in the Bahamas. And that my children have really grown up not seeing black and white. Um, our, our foster son is, is Bahamian. Um, is, he's, he's, he's black Bahamian. And he has been as much a brother to, to the other kids. And so they, my kids never saw color and never distinguished between it. And that's been ex- incredibly um, valuable for us. And I think that hopefully the world at large and the world of design will also um, benefit from the movement that we have seen more recently um, and, that, and that we become closer and more patient and more understanding of one another, not just in the world of design, but in the world at large. Wise words and certainly an important reminder. And yeah, this has been such a pleasure. I've loved chatting with you and getting to know more about not only your um, your background, but also the wonderful work that you're doing now. And of course, I'm looking forward to your new book. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a delight being on this and, um, you know, huge respect to you too, because I've seen your career grow enormously and with great confidence and in exactly the right way. Um, so huge congratulations to you too. Oh, well, that means so much to me. Thank you so much, India. I hope to see you soon. Take good care. All right. All okay, right. Bye.
That was author, philanthropist, and creative entrepreneur, India Hicks. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. If you're enjoying The Style Files, be sure to subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.